Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, if you're using a Pew Bible, page 1125. Romans 1, we're continuing Paul's uh, explanation of the deep, dark descent of man. You know, over the years, the topic before us this morning has produced more counseling visits to my office than any other and probably all other topics combined. More people come to see me because they are having problems in this area of their lives. Because no other sin that I can think of has more deep and devastating consequences than this one. This one destroys individuals, families, even churches. This morning we're going to talk about sex. If you were asleep when you got here, that ought to open your ears and perk you up, right? At least that's what Madison Avenue believes. There's no quicker way to sell a product. We've been looking for the last few weeks at what Paul has to say about this deep, dark descent of man, beginning back in really verse 18 and then following. This morning, I want to focus on verses 24 and 25. I noted for you several weeks ago when we began that there is a fourfold fall of man, really begins, I guess, in verse 21 is what we said. A fourfold fall of man. Verse 21, speaking of man's intellectual fall. Verses 22 and 23, man's spiritual fall. That was last week. This morning and next week, we want to deal with man's sexual fall. Verses 24 to 27, and then rounding it out with man's social fall. These are, these are like links in a chain. They are a series of spiraling downward, if you will. It's like pulling the plug in the bathtub and the water is now moving down the drain. It is, it is inexorably moving towards that lowest possible point. And that is indeed what has happened to humanity. And that is what Paul is outlining for us here in this section of Romans chapter 1. Let me read for you just beginning in verse 24 to get us started. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over 
to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I can't think of a more grim passage of Scripture nor a more accurate diagnosis of the human heart. This is indeed a very dark section of Scripture. Paul's been linking this together like threading beads on a necklace. As we said in verse 21 several weeks back, it begins with the refusal to acknowledge the Creator. The refusal to acknowledge the manifest evidence for Him that He has strewn all about creation. And instead of accepting that revelation, that natural revelation of God, instead suppressing it and creating our own foolish fables to account for the reality that we see. That then leads people into the sin of idolatry. We said people fall intellectually, they then fall spiritually. To refuse the Creator is to headlong enter into the path of idolatry, spiritual wickedness. And so that is indeed what humanity has done. They have fallen to the sin of idolatry. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just idolatry. That alone is not the end. The descent down into the deep, dark depths of depravity just continues to go. And so Paul very clearly links the idolatry of verse 23. Take a look at it. Exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, Paul links man's sexual fall with his spiritual fall. Idolatry leads to immorality. It is an absolute connection. It is, it is irresistible. It is irresistible. In fact, I would go so far to say that it is impossible to be involved in sexual sin without first having been involved in the spiritual sin of idolatry. One presupposes the other and one leads to the other. The history of the world incontrovertibly confirms this. This is indeed what can be observed throughout the history of humanity. A false understanding of God leads to a false understanding of our own sexuality. Think with me. Paul wrote this epistle from the city of Corinth. It was written there to the churches at Rome, but it was written from Corinth. 
As Paul ministered in that city, he was constantly surrounded and bombarded by the debauchery of the city of Corinth. Every night in that city, a thousand temple prostitutes would fan out over the city to give away their bodies in exchange for an offering to their gods. This was a city that was absolutely swamped in its immorality. It was so sex-saturated that it became an expression known throughout the ancient world to live like a Corinthian was to live a life so morally degraded and enslaved to sexual lust that you were considered a Corinthian. It was also a city of idolatry. Rampant idolatry. And so when Paul writes, he writes under inspiration of the Spirit of God. He writes with the full knowledge and understanding of the Old Testament. And he writes with the, with the example in living color all around him 24-7. Just as we said last time, that arrogance and folly characterize man's spiritual fall. So his sexual fall is characterized by Paul in this text as abandonment and abomination. Abandonment and abomination. This morning, I'm going to look with you at what he has to say about abandonment. Verses 24 and 25 is where we will focus our time this morning. The key to understanding this whole deep, dark descent is found in the expression that is used three times here. Verses 24, 26, 28. God gave them over. Three times it appears here. It's, it's like the judge's gavel coming down. When the pagan world turned from God to idols, God abandoned them to their own fallen ways. Now, it's important, and we need to note this, that Paul is not talking here about individual progression of sin. He is talking about the ruination of humanity as a group, as a class of people. There are certain applications that can and should be and will be made from this text, but it is important to understand that he is not speaking specifically about any one individual. He is speaking about humanity as a It is an evaluation of all of us as a whole. All of us have within us, that's a redundant way to say it, we all have within us the seeds of this depravity. Every single one of us have the ability, have the inclination, have the possibility of falling the way humanity has fallen. It is only the grace of God that holds any one of us back. There is no room in this text for spiritual pride. There is no room in this text for pointing fingers at others. There is no room in this text for saying they are worse than me because we are all infected with this deadly disease. And every single one of us are capable of falling just as far. R.C. Sproul once said, that you are more like Adolf Hitler than you are like Jesus Christ. And if you find that offensive, beloved, 
then you don't really understand the deep, dark depth of your own soul. We got problems. Big problems. Verse 24. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. You cannot and humanity could not turn its back on God with impunity. To exchange the glory of God for the images made from fallen hands leads inevitably to judgment. And that is what this passage is about, is judgment. And the judgment that God gives them is that He now turns them over. He gave them over, the text says. The, the verb paradidomai is used a number of times throughout the Scriptures and it always has an intensive sense to it. 1 Corinthians 13.3 the, the verb paradidomai is used there and it's speaking of giving one's body over to the flames to be burned. It's used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 of Christ giving Himself up to death as a sacrifice. Acts chapter 8, verse 3 of throwing somebody into prison, giving somebody over to prison. Matthew chapter 18, verse 34, of handing someone over to torturers. 2 Peter 2, verse 4, delivering the fallen angels into the pits of darkness. Romans 4 and verse 25, the Father delivering Christ over to death. It is an intensive verb, paradidomai, and that is the verb that Paul uses three times here, verses 24, 26, and 28. Here in 24, it is a, it given in a judicial sense. It has a judicial aspect to it. Back in verse 18, the wrath of God is mentioned, right? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In the context of what Paul is laying out for us here, this wrath is not so much an active outpouring of divine wrath as it is the removal of restraint. The giving over in verses 24, 26, 28 is the idea of the removal of restraint that allows the sinners to reap the just fruits of their own rebellion. That is what it means to be given over by God. It's like God unties the rope that has a, is holding the rowboat to the dock. And then He takes His foot and he just kind of pushes it off the dock out into the current. And it's drawn on downstream. Given over by God. It is indeed one of the grim facts of life. That the more a man sins, the easier it becomes to sin. It begins with revulsion and guilt. But it doesn't take long before the guilt is been put away, the revulsion is no more, and man finds himself performing grosser and grosser and more and more vile sin without a second thought. There is a definite downward progression. The Jews had a saying, whosoever strives to keep himself pure receives the power to do so, and whosoever is impure, to him is the door of vice thrown wide open. We cannot abandon God with impunity, for God abandons us. 
And specifically in this text, the giving over is said to be in the lust of their heart. Verse 24, you see that in the lust of their heart to or into impurity. The word lust, epithumia, it means a desire. It means a longing. It means a passionate desire for that which is forbidden. Lust makes people do shameful things. It makes people do things that are, that are insane, that are silly, that are, that are foolish, that are self-destructive. James says, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. For those for whom lust is a way of life, there is a continual spiral down and down and down with no bottom in sight. Paul says God releases humanity to the lusts within them. The lusts of their hearts, verse 24. He's just giving them over to what lies within He is removing His restraining hand of grace. He is no longer holding them back. He's letting them run. He delivers them over, He says, in the lust of their heart, verse 24, to impurity. To impurity. There is a a state called impurity. This word translated impurity here is a very general term and it means uncleanness. That's how it's most typically translated as uncleanness. It's often used to speak of decaying matter. For example, Matthew chapter 23, verse 2, is spoken about the contents of a grave is impurity, uncleanness. If you were to dig up a grave after a month or two, you would find impurity. In a moral realm, it has the idea of rot, filth, decay. And it is used frequently as a term for sexual sin. The results of this impurity are the dishonoring and the debasing of the human body. Sexual sin, as I said, like no other, leaves a mark on the human soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 In verse 18, Paul says, Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body. He who sins sexually sins against his own body. It is a chipping away of your soul. It is a degrading of you spiritually and physically. It debases the image of God within you. And it is the most corrosive, I think, of all sin. It robs people of their dignity. It robs people of their peace of mind. Proverbs 28.1 The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. It robs and defiles their conscience. Titus 1 verse 15 To the pure all things are pure. To those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. To those who have fallen into impurity Nothing is pure anymore. Everything has a debased sexual component to it. 
Sexual sin, as I said, destroys personal relationships. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys homes. It destroys cities, nations, churches. Now let me be very, very clear here with the text. The moral degradation being spoken of here in verses 24 to 27, if you don't get anything else, get this, is a consequence of God's wrath. It is not the cause of God's wrath. Okay? It is the consequence. It is the outpouring of His wrath. It is not the cause of His wrath. God is not angry with humanity because of their sexual debauchery. God is angry with humanity because of their refusal to acknowledge Him and glorify Him for who He really is and instead to construct a cheap substitute with their own broken hands or some intricate philosophical model by which they might evade their own Creator. That is what God is angry about. It is the pouring out of that wrath that unleashes the unholy passions that lie within each and every one of our hearts. Therefore, therefore, the answer to sexual sin is not to deal with the behavior. The answer to sexual sin is to deal with the idolatry of the heart. That is where the attack must come. That is where the taking every thought captive to Christ must come. That is where the smashing of the idols must come. For if it does not happen there, you will never be released from your depravity and your lusts. Paul speaking here about abandonment. Abandonment three times. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Not individually. He's not speaking here of the eternal abandonment of sinners. That does happen. But that is known only to God. There is a time when impenitent sinners are turned over by God. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the turning over of His greatest creation. His highest work. That which was very good. Turned over to their own innate depravity. Verse 25, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you see it? It's like a sandwich. Verse 23, verse 25. You cannot miss the correlation between idolatry and sexual debauchery. It is like a sandwich. It is put there specifically so you will not miss it. In verse 23, the pagans are said to have bartered away the truth of God. Now in 20, or, or rather the glory of God. Now in verse 25, they're said to have bartered away the truth of God. Do you see that? They've exchanged the glory of God, verse 23. They've exchanged the truth of God, verse 25. They are giving over that which is known about God for a cheap substitute. Paul reiterates in this section over and over again the charge of idolatry. And he does it so that we will understand the seriousness of the sin and the severity of the penalty attached to it. For they, verse 
Hutanes, the relative pronoun, it, it points back in the text to the kind of people who are degraded. It is the degraded kind of people, verse 25, exchange the truth of God for a lie. This is what degraded people do. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Now, literally, the lie. Literally, in the Greek text, definite article is there, the lie. That same construction, by the way, appears over in John chapter 8, verse 44, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. Not just a lie, it is the lie. The lie. The ultimate lie. The refusal to acknowledge God for who He truly is and instead to practice idolatry, to transfer our worship and service to the decaying creature rather than the immortal Creator. It is the same lie that was foisted on humanity there in the garden. It is the same lie that has been foisted on each and every one of us ever since. The lie. Paul is very, very specific here. Idolatry is not one falsehood among many. It is the Falsehood, the lie that stands behind all other sin. To turn away from God is to run headlong into intellectual, spiritual, sexual, and societal suicide. This Creator, verse 25, who is blessed forever. Amen. Almost seems a little out of place, doesn't it? To be inserted there amidst all of this. It's kind of a spontaneous outburst from Paul of adoration. It kind of stands out dramatically, I think, in, in, you know, in, in all the clauses that surround it with all the wickedness and depravity of man. And, and he mentions the Creator, and he mentions Him by name here for the first time. And that just draws spontaneously from Paul's lips this outburst of adoration. Who is blessed forever, amen, he says, the Creator God. God is both blessed in Himself and He is a fountain of blessings to all His creatures. Those who will turn to Him in faith. That truth, I think, is so glaring here that with the Apostle Paul, everyone should say, Amen. So be it. I want to talk with you a little bit about the implications of these two verses. What are the flesh and blood implications of being given over in the lust of your hearts to impurity? What does it mean? Sex, marital intimacy, or I should say male-female intimacy, is a wonderful gift from God. It was given for man's, mankind's humanity's enjoyment and continuance of the race. There's nothing like it. It is beautiful. It is a spiritual communion. It is a provider of physical pleasure between a man and a woman. It is a gift. The gift of marital intimacy. Provided it is enjoyed within the covenant protection established by God. Within the covenant of marriage. Conversely, 
outside of that marriage covenant. Sexual intercourse, there is nothing like it in terms of vulgarity, in terms of defilement, and in terms of spiritual devastation. In the marriage covenant, it is all that God intended it to be for glory and for pleasure and for spiritual communion. Stripped of its God-ordained purposes. It's defiling and debasing. Days gone by, this kind of a message would be reserved for a men's retreat. This would be the kind of stuff that you would primarily address to men. But as our culture has continued to descend down the deep, dark pit of depravity, the women in this culture have become more and more sexually aggressive. To the point where now what was once considered a man's problem is now symptomatic of women as well. We'll deal with it a little more next week, but let your eyes just drop down to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Stop right there. Bible commentator Charles Hodge of the last century, I think, was right on the money when he said that, that, that when women are involved in this kind of sexual problems. It is a symptom of the overall decay of a society. When women lose their natural modesty and sexual reserve, it is a sign that depravity has reached an advanced state. Ladies. Mothers. Young women, who are you dressing for? Who is the audience to observe your attire? When you put on your clothes, who are you thinking about? What impression are you seeking to make upon them? What is it that you want from the young men of this church? What kind of attention are you looking to receive? Your clothes speak volumes about what's in your heart. You know, it used to be in prior generations that when a guy placed his hand in an inappropriate place on a young woman, that she would move his hand away. And she'd say something like, no, not until we're married. We don't live in that world anymore. That's not the world we live in anymore. Girls have become so sexually aggressive. They welcome it. They like the idea of being pawed. They have lost their natural modesty. Their natural reserve. The statistics are frightening. 
According to the 2002 study, by the fam- or study published by the Family Research Council, the percentage of teens aged 15 to 19 who engaged in premarital sexual intercourse was 49% for girls, 55% for boys. Half. Half. Furthermore, the evidence of an increasingly aggressive sexuality among women is hinted at, I believe, and perhaps more than hinted at, when you, you look at the study as it's broken down by decades, by age groups. The research shows that women ages 50 to 59, that's the 60s generation, were only half as likely to have had premarital intercourse as unmarried women ages 18 to 29. It's down, 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 down. We should not be so naive to think it can't happen here. We should not be so naive to think that our children, just because they're brought up in Christian homes, are somehow immune to such temptation. This is not something you can run away from. You can't move away to a nice, comfortable place and wall it all off. It springs from the heart. This is an issue of the heart. Young people, what you watch and what you listen to will have a permanent impact on how you think. Permanent. That which you have been exposed to through your eyes and your ears will be permanently imprinted on your mind and will haunt you for the rest of your life. Went online this week, typed in uh, pornography statistics just to see what was out there. I had been reading and so forth, but I decided to do a little more direct investigation. The size of the pornography industry worldwide is $57 billion. Microsoft's annual revenues are $44 billion. Just to give you a little bit of comparison. The U.S. porn industry is $12 billion a year. Porn revenue is larger than all the combined revenues of all the professional football, baseball, and basketball franchises put together. U.S. pornography revenue exceeds by twice the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC, all put together. Child pornography generates $3 billion a year annually in revenues. Average exposure, average age of first Internet exposure to pornography, 11. Average, 11. Largest consumer of Internet pornography, 12 to 17-year-olds. Those ages 8 to 16 having viewed pornography online, 90%. 90%. 
Most while doing their homework. Most while doing their homework. U.S. adults who regularly visit Internet pornography websites, 40 million people. Promise keepers men who viewed pornography in the last week, 53%. One half. Christians who said pornography is a major problem in the home, 47%. Breakdown of male-female visits to pornography websites, 72% male, 28% female. 28%. 17% of all women say they struggle with pornography addiction. It's not a men's problem anymore. One of three visitors to all adult websites are women. One out of three. That which used to be modest and reserved is gone. We're living in a cesspool. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, listen. He's writing to believers. He says, but do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, meaning your friends, your co-workers, your family members, the movies, the music, whatever other source of information you might have. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of of the light. If you are caught in the snare of sexual sin this morning, do not deceive yourself into thinking that you will somehow escape on your own. You will not. Don't think that you can keep this problem in the closet, in the darkness. Nobody knows and somehow just you and God and you'll get free of it. You'll make all kinds of promises to God. You'll plead with God through tear-stained eyes. You'll promise Him, Oh God, I'll never do it again. And you'll be right back at it in a short period of time. The problem's deep. It begins with sinful thinking about God. It begins with wrong thinking about who God is. Which proceeds to idolatry. Whatever that idol you've created in your heart that has captured your affections, that you love more than you love God. Then your lusts take over. Your lusts take over. you want to be free this morning, you need to call out for help. You need to come out of the darkness and into the light. You need to tell somebody. You must tell somebody. 
Somebody who can help you. Somebody who can pray with you. Someone who can help you clean up your stinking thinking and begin to see God for who He really is. As long as you try to hide, you will never be free. And remember this one thing, beloved. This is not the kind of sin where you stay stable, stagnant. What tantalized and tickled your fancy a year ago will no longer satisfy. That which provided a release for your sexual passion a month ago will no longer be sufficient. And you will go down, down, down. Come out of the darkness. Come into the light. Let me pray. Our Father God, oh, how we wish that this were not our problem. Oh, how we wish that this could be merely an intellectual exercise of speaking about other people's problems, not ours. Oh, how we wish we could be part of a church that was so pure and righteous and in love with You that sin would not be a problem for us. But Father, how we know our own hearts. How we know the wickedness that resides within. And how we know, our Father, that we are the guilty ones. Lord God, we pray for deliverance. We pray, our Father, that Your Spirit would use His Word to apply it to the hearts of His people. That He would strip off the facade that we have so carefully constructed to make ourselves presentable when inside we are full of dead man's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. We thank You for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank You for His sacrifice on a cross. We thank You because He has paid the penalty for even this sin amongst His people. But Lord God, we know how it devastates us spiritually. How it robs us of our fellowship. How it creates distance between us and You and between one another. We know, our Father, how it grows, causes us to grow cold to Your Word. Apathetic to the work of the Gospel. Uncaring to the fate of the lost. Lord God, please, may You move today to cleanse Your people. For Jesus' sake, Amen.